Um, I just want to say, okay, the, the Lord told us just like last week. I feel like I forgot something. Oh, I did. I did. Don't you all start it and just leave it. If you heard about this Bible last week and you didn't get one, this is that illustrated Bible that we talked about and that I said I gave to a lot of people no matter their age to help them understand the flow of scripture. We got a whole bunch and we're willing to give you one. If you go to this church, if you're a member of this church, feel free to help us out with a cost on that. You know what I mean? But if you don't have the money or anything like that, this is something that we give away. Okay, we give a lot of these away. So, all right. And the other thing is the soap schedules. You're going to find, if you're doing soap, that for the next season, they're going to, the Old Testament portion is going to switch to something that roughly parallels what we're doing in the services. What that means is this. We're going to be doing five sermons out of Exodus. I mean, Genesis. It's very hard to get Genesis down into five services, sermons, right? But the bottom line is we figured it out. We're going to do it. And then what we're going to do is, is if you're reading the soap, you'll be reading, it's a 50-chapter book. You'll be reading two chapters five days a week. So instead of having a short Old Testament section, we were in, I think, Joshua. And we're going to be popping out of Joshua. Sorry about that for those who are in retentive and need to, but, but I'm just asking you to have grace on us. But we're going to be reading the whole book of Genesis while we're doing sermons on it. Now understand, the readings you do that week may not go with the sermon. But the point is, is what we're trying to do is raise biblical literacy. And so you're going to catch, if you go through the soap, you're going to read the whole book during the time that we're doing sermons on it. Does that make sense? All right. And then we're going to do the same thing with Exodus, same thing with Leviticus, Numbers, so on. Okay. All right. Now I'm starting sermon. And what I want to say about the sermon is, is as we said, and as I've been saying, we're going to be doing this thing where we're going to be going through the Old Testament. And I want, to, I want you to see why and catch the vision. If you heard it last week, you got it. But I want everybody to catch a hold of something. I want you to think about something. God never intended for there to be two books, the Old Testament and the New. There was one book. There is a revelation that comes when Jesus comes that is remarkable, striking, unbelievable, and everything else. But you don't really understand Jesus unless you understand everything that came before him. Right now in the world, there is an effort to separate the Old and the New Testament amongst those who do not believe in what God has tried to do in the Bible. And that is to say, they will say something like this. Oh, the God of the Old Testament was angry and vengeful. The God of the New Testament is love. Now, when you separate those two books, you have now unmoored the New Testament from its background, from its richness, from its depth, from its meaning, from everything that God did beforehand in order to make you understand why he had to do what he did in Christ Jesus. It's a phenomenal thing, and it is so much richer and nuanced and layered, and it is so much deeper in our hearts when we understand the old. And then, now that you're connected to the new, right now the new is unmoored from its old, and so you can kind of make it say and do anything you want. 
You hear all kinds of people saying all kinds of things about scripture and Jesus. And there is some truth in what they say. It's just not the whole truth. To say that God was angry in the Old Testament is to misunderstand and just completely read over all of the love that God is extending throughout the whole of the Old Testament. God is such a God of love in the Old Testament. To say that God in the New Testament is just love is to miss the holiness, the righteousness, the issue that God was dealing with, which was sin. So the fact of the matter is, is what we're doing in this thing, what God has got us doing is he's trying to, in a way that we need grace because it's going to take us a while to figure out how to really hit the exact right rhythms to where it really is the flow of the Lord. But we're going to do everything we can to just be led by the Lord to be bringing out of the old that which enriches and deepens. And the truth is there's much more than we're going to get to to do that. But we're going to be picking the grand things, the big things, and then go deep with them like we're going to do today in a way that is going to make all of us, when we hear something, just go, oh, that means so much more to me now. It has resonance. I talked about that guitar. And when you string all the strings on a, when you strum all the strings on a guitar, it's the harmonic resonance between all the strings that makes the noise that was intended. It's not just plucking one string. Okay? So that's what we're going to be doing. And today, the way that we're going to do this is the perfect way to start this because it's going to totally set us up for this whole idea of the stuff that God wanted to be in us. So that when he says it to us, even in our daily lives, it has richness. And today you're going to see an Old Testament passage, Genesis chapter 1. And you're going to see out of that passage, the four most important words that have ever been spoken. Written, contemplated. You're going to hear the four words that God intended to be in us at every moment. The two words that we're given this morning speak exactly to what he wants us to get out of those four words and indeed the whole chapter. So with that, we're going to go ahead and dig in. Oh, this is perfect. Scott Chen. Uh, I talked him up too much last week and I know he doesn't like it. So I love you and I won't say anything other than you're the most spectacular human being in the history of the world. Okay. No, no hyperbole here. Just absolutely adore you, Scott. Thank you, and God bless you for what you're doing. Pray for the sermon. Lift up another church. All right, let's pray. Father, we uh, become this morning so hungry uh, to be in your presence. But we are so hungry um, for what you have next. Um, and Lord, as we've been praying, Lord, speak to you, Kurt, this morning. Amen. The foundation that you're laying uh, is too valuable to really wrap our heads around. The fruit uh, that can come from this, Lord, in the months and years and decades to come uh, inspires us to press in even more. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would settle our minds Amen. Receive what you have, the kernels that you will plant today, that will bear fruit in years to come. Amen. Us together and us individually. Lord, we um, we come before you, uh, locking arms with our brothers and sisters for this city. 
Amen. Lord, can I lift up uh, our brothers and sisters at Westminster? Thank you, Jesus. Continue uh, the heritage that they have had, Lord, and so many other churches on the east side. Thank you, Jesus. Together uh, in you, uh, there's nothing that can't be accomplished. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we love you with all that we have. We thank you for your crazy love for us. Amen. Amen. Perfect prayer, Scott. Thank you. Now, I'm going to read to you Genesis chapter 1. A little long. But it's not going to seem long because we're going to read it in a certain way. And here's what I mean. I want you to lay aside for the moment, even though you don't have to, but I want you to lay aside for the moment the sort of Western reading of Genesis 1 which typically means the science. Does the science comport? And the thing I want to tell you is I've not only done many sermons on it, but I'll do many more on it. The fact of the matter is Genesis chapter 1 and the way that it comports with science that we've only known for about 100 years, and this was written 3,500 years ago, one of the evidences that the creator is the one who wrote this is that he wrote things in chapter 1 scientifically that absolutely nobody had any idea about until about the last 100 years. And the way that Genesis 1 comports with that science is extraordinary. Extraordinary. There is no other document, religious or non, in any of the ancient world that even begins to come close to the way that this fits with reality and what we have discovered. Now I'm going to give you one example of this, just so that when we hit it, you don't go, oh, I don't understand that. I want you to watch this. Genesis, you know, we're talking science, now we're talking Western, we're not going to read it that way. But, or even though you can't. Day one is light. Day two is the waters above, which is to say in the atmosphere, and the waters below, which is to say the oceans, essentially, okay? Day three becomes dry land and oceans and vegetation, Day four becomes the sun and the moon. Now, wait a minute. How can you say that this is scientific if on day four the sun and the moon show up? Because if on day one it was let there be light, big bang, if that's what you get out of day one, by the way, even if you're multiverse, you still have the connection and there still is light. That is still the thing, okay? And that's not to say there's anything to multiverse, but those are saying, well, Okay. There's just so much in this. But here's what I want to say. See, the sun, and the, the sun and the moon and the earth and all these things, that should be a day one or day two kind of a thing, shouldn't it? That should be over here, not day four. Well, this is the point. Now watch. Genesis is written to us. Genesis chapter one is written to us from what we call anthrocentric, which means what's its point in particular, anthro-man. It's written from the standpoint of mankind. Here's the point of Genesis chapter 1. Everything he made, he made for you. That's the point of the book. That's what you have to remember. That's what we're going to get to. And so the point is, is when you look at it, it's from the standpoint of us. And so it starts with, let there be light, and immediately the Spirit's hovering over the waters of the earth. So there's an awful lot of stuff that happens in between those two things. 
But when we get to the waters of the earth, we're on the earth now in day one. And then he talks about in day two, the separation between the land. And then in day three, now watch this scientifically, he talks about vegetation growing. Well, do you know something? It's not until vegetation comes that the atmosphere is able to be clear and to be seen through. It's O2. Vegetation takes in CO2, which is if the atmosphere, look, there's two planets, more than that, but there's two planets, Jupiter and Saturn, that have atmospheres that have gas. And if you were on the surface of that planet, you would know when the planet was looking at the sun, there would be light, but you could never see the sun nor the moon. It would not rule the days. You wouldn't understand any of it because you would be under an atmosphere which was impenetrable as far as sight goes. Do you see that? It's not until vegetation on day three that oxygen is released into the atmosphere, which is what makes our atmosphere clear, able to be seen through. And now you can see the sun and the moon, and they can rule the day and the night. They can bring light to these things. They can bring understanding of seasons. They can bring a whole lot of things that we do and that the ancients done and farmers still do to today about moon cycles and the whole nine yards. You see it? So right there, all of a sudden, see, you can be facile, and this is going to be one of our themes here today. You can be superficial and you can say, oh, well, it doesn't fit with science. But if you'll look into it, all of a sudden you'll see that the insight that's gained, how would Moses 3,500 years ago understand the concept that plants take in CO2 and kick out O2, and O2 is what makes the atmosphere clear? How would he know that? And yet that's exactly what it says. So if you just actually take the scripture at its word and work on how you actually come to an even deeper revelation of how in a way that makes it even more amazingly true. Do you see that? Now that was quick. If you're a scientist, you're still going to have some things that you want to talk to me about. I can't. And I can point you to Hugh Roth's Reasons to Believe, which is the resource that I always point everybody to that is really good at this stuff because there is a treasure trove of incredible information about all of this to be found there. And these are actual scientists in their field. They're not pastors that read a lot. They're people that were astrophysicists and bio. And I'm not saying pastors that read a lot are bad, but you understand my point? These are scientists from their field who are published and who still publish. And they're talking about how faith and science are not at odds whatsoever. At all. In fact, to the contrary, a proper understanding of science brings you deeper into an amazement of the scripture and how it got it right. So with that... We're going to lay that reading down, that Western reading. And what we're going to do is we're going to pick up the reading that God intended it to be, which was certainly he intended there to be truth in it, but it's poetry. Now, here's the funny thing. See, in the Western mind, when we say poetry, we mean fanciful. That's not what poetry is. Poetry is taking the things of the world and showing the truth that is in there in a deeper way. Poetry is not about fiction Poetry is about truth deeper. Some things cannot be expressed unless they're expressed in the deeper way that poetry can express them. And then you realize the deeper truth to be found. You see it? So we're going to allow this chapter to read itself to us. Read into us. Come into our minds and our hearts 
where I want you to read. I, it's almost like I would say close your eyes, but don't because I want you to look at the words too. But I don't want you to be, I don't want you to be doing that critical thing. I want you to do something and say, the creator of the universe is trying to communicate something to you. What is it? And watch what happens when you do that. When you come before it and you let it sink in and soak in it. So with that, here we go. I don't know if I'm going or not. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. The word was empty void. And darkness covered the deep waters. And the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness and God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heaven from the waters of the earth. And this is what, and this is what happened. Catch that phrase. You're going to hear that in, good, in poetry. When things get repeated, they're getting repeated for a reason. God said it and this is what happened. God said it, and this is what happened. you see the sermon already? God said it, and this is what happened. And that is what happened. God made the space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heaven. And God called the space sky, and the evening and the morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land and the water seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant, and the trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. Understand what's being said right there. He's creating life that can reproduce. Who is God? A life that is reproducing life. That's us, and that's all of creation and the vegetation. You see what he's doing? It's life. It's not just organic. It just stays. It doesn't do anything. I mean, inorganic. It's organic, and it creates, and it can reproduce after its kind. Uh, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit, these seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. They'll propagate, and this is what happened the land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants, and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Do you hear another repetition happening here in the poetry? And evening, oh, by the way, I wish you could do this in Hebrew. It's fun in Hebrew. It sounds so beautiful. Okay. And evening passed and morning came, marking the third day. Then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the season, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day, the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fourth day. 
Then God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the seas, let the skies be filled with the birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them by saying, be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fifth day. Do you see this? What he's saying is, is let it be fruitful and multiply. He's saying, this life that I created, let it abound. Let it explode. Let it fill. See? Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind. Livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground and wild animals. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Now I'm going to point out something to you here just really quickly. Verse 25, God made. You remember in day five when he did the fish? God created. Here it says God made. I'm going to show you that distinction here in one second. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I told you that this is an anthrocentric passage. God communicating something to mankind is creation. And right here he is creating something phenomenal. Because he says created, created, created. The word that he's using right here is bara. It's interesting in the six days of creation, in the seventh day he rested, in the six days of creation, there's only three days that have a bara in them. The very first one, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's a bara, and bara means something from nothing. There wasn't anything, and God made something. That's what a bara is. And a saw is still a creative act, but it's a creative act that comes from something. So what happens is God created the heavens and the earth, and even the vegetation is not a bara. Even organic life, vegetation is an saw. It still is a creative act of God, but it was from what he had already made. He made something else. Do you see it? And so he does that on the first day. He does that when he does the sensate beings that can move on their own, that have brains and can motor around and move and so on. They're not organic life. It's just stuck to where it is. That's, a, that's the second bara. And the third one comes on day six right here when he triple bras. He says, I've just created something that wasn't before at all. I've created something brand new. I've created something totally different. By the way, there's, a, there's an asaw to what he did with man too, out of the dust. And, but that's getting too technical. But, but here's what I want you to see. When he makes man, God is three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the number three means completeness, fullness, the whole thing. And what he's done is Father created, Son created, Holy Spirit created. It's not actually that, but you get the point? What he's saying is created, created, created. Man, when I did this thing, there's something brand new. And what is the something that's brand new? Us in his image. 
God has created something like him. Everything else reflects him. Everything else shows him. Everything else reveals things about him. But man, when he makes mankind, he's done something extraordinary. And this is the climax of the whole chapter right here. He wants us to understand that he made us. And he made us like him for a reason. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was what? This time it's a very. <laughs> now that he's done with what the point of it was and he's made it all, it was very good. And the evening and the morning came, marking the sixth day. And then just because. So the creations of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. And this, as we talk about Old Testament things, which give us depth and resonance to New Testament, this is why we should all be taking a Sabbath, even to today. This is how to keep the world from getting on top of you. Now that's a whole other sermon. I've preached it a lot of times. I'll preach it a lot more times. Why? Because we don't do it. <laughs> If we did it, I could preach about how to do it better. And then you could teach me how to do it better. But the bottom line is, is that we don't follow the pattern that God set out. But he set it right here and it has a richness because of this chapter. Having said that, I want to show you something. We have to understand what these words were intended to do. God meant them to be spoken, to be read, to, be, to let them come into our hearts and minds in a way that they would come in and they would begin to shape us. They would form our understanding of things. What is the world about? If you don't have Genesis chapter 1, then have at it. It's a free-for-all. There's lots of other religions that have tried to describe it the way that they would. And there's lots of people that have no religious belief at all that describe it the way that they would. And you can think about it any way that you want. But there is something that God has done. He has put Genesis chapter 1 in the world and he's done it for a reason. He wants that chapter to be in our minds forming and shaping our understanding so that our understanding, our Thoughts, our reactions, our emotions, our actions, our very being is being shaped by these words. These first words in the Bible. He means every one of these to be going in and forming you differently. Now watch. This is kind of cool. Watch. Here's what he says right here. The earth was formless and void, or tohu abohu, formless and void, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over. Now, what was he doing? You've heard me talk about it before. Here's what he was doing. There wasn't any form, and there wasn't any meaning. It was just gases before there was an earth, but now he's talking about the earth. And on the earth, it was just water. There wasn't any shape to it. There wasn't any 
there wasn't anything that would create meaning. In other words, a potter sits down with a lump of clay and he makes a plate. And that plate now has shape and purpose as a plate. A carpenter sits down with twigs and he fashions them into a chair. And that chair now has meaning and purpose. Do you see it? And what the Holy Spirit is doing is he's taking that which was empty and he's shaping it into something that has meaning. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what the Holy Spirit's trying to do with you right now with these words from Genesis. He's trying to come into a mind that is empty, that is ill-formed, that is formless and all over, and he's trying to give you shape. He's trying to shape your thoughts so that you see what's true. <coughs> We're talking about how when you understand the old, it brings a richness, a nuance, and a depth to the new. The old I've just described to you is that God is trying to shape you into a certain thinker and feeler and believer. And then what he says in Romans, a New Testament passage, which is directly referring to this, this chapter, he says it this way. We should know the truth about God because he made it obvious to us. Ever since the world was created, what's that referring to? Genesis 1. Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky, the things he created. Through everything God made, we can clearly see his invisible attributes. Love. When you read those first six days of creation, do you see love in there? He made you to be with you. Do you see abundance? Do you see the majesty of God? The universe declares the majesty of God. Do you see the abundance of the provision that he wants to give you? Because he wanted the seas teeming and the earth populated and he wanted all of this abundantly filling. Do you see it? All of a sudden we get more nuance and meaning of what he's talking about here. Now what happens is, of course, his eternal power is divine nature. So we have no excuse for not knowing God. We can look at what he made and we can see the kind of God that he is. We can see what he said. We can look at it. We can examine it scientifically, critically, in any other way that we want. And if we do so humbly and honestly, we will be led. I want to say almost certainly, but God always gives us free will. But almost certainly to a knowledge of a designer, of a creator of something of intelligence that did something for a reason and a purpose. But the point is, yes, we should have known God, but we wouldn't worship as God or even give him thanks. Instead, we want to say, I want you to think about something just for a second. Now watch this. When you look, when I say that Genesis chapter one is anthropocentric, you could accuse me of narcissism because I'm making it all about me. But I didn't make it all about me. What I, I didn't say that it was all about me. I said it was all for me. It's all about him who made me and gave so much to me. But it's not about me. That makes it about him who did all that. So that I should do what? Say thank you. 
<laughs> praise you. Awesome. <laughs> That's what we should respond. But here's the irony. See, the person in the modern world, see, we, we would say this anthrocentric that I just did. In the modern world, we would say, that's narcissistic for you to think that the world's about you. I would agree. But here's the irony. It's the people who are pushing away the things of God that are actually making it all about them. Because what they're doing is they're making it up in their own image. You see it? We push away the things of God. Instead, we begin to think up foolish ideas of what God is like. As a result, our minds become dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, we become utter fools. Instead of worshiping the glorious, everlasting, ever-living God, the one who created the universe, instead of him being our focus and our worship and our thanks and the object of all our affections, we come up with the stuff of our minds. Can you imagine the, 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 the comparison to the mind of God and the mind of man of a particular person? <laughs> And yet we let that be our guide. And so we worship puny, ridiculous things of our own making. This is what it says. I'm good, but thank you. I really appreciate that. And whoever brought that to him, thank you for that too. Do you see this? Here's, here's the point. As the creator source of everything, God has filled his creation with purpose and meaning. And he's asking us to engage it that way. Because you'll learn so much about me and you'll fall in love with me and you'll want to serve me and you'll be willing to take the things that you want and lay them aside because you'll realize how much greater are the things that I want for you, I have for you. That's the point. That's what he's trying to get across to us. That's the thing that's supposed to be shaped in our brains. God, the creator of everything, needs to be worshipped, <laughs> needs to be thanked, needs to be followed. But now watch. See, someone living at an entirely human level rejects the revelations of God's Spirit, like Genesis 1. For they make no sense to them. He can't understand the revelations of the Spirit because they're only discovered by the illumination of the Spirit. You want to know what the Holy Spirit is like, just as a, just as a poor analogy? He's a cipher and a key. Those are two different things, by the way. Cipher the rules and the key is, the, is how to apply the rules. But the point is, is you, you've seen movies, right? Enigma, for example. You've seen code breaking. And what happens is, now watch, the person over here is writing something and then that device is turning it into some sort of code that can only be unlocked by the other person if they have the cipher, the Enigma machine, the key. Do you see it? Here's what the Holy Spirit's trying to do with us. He's trying to say, I've given you all this information and I'm trying to put it in your head so that when God talks, you can decipher it. Do you see it? You can get it. You can respond to it the way that God intended. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have the key. So it doesn't make any sense to you. This is what's being said, right? So if all of Genesis 1 is a thing that he meant to have shape us, let me just show you how scripture works, because this is so cool. You see, poetry takes a little bitty thing that because of our knowledge, its context, what it connotes, it means a whole lot more. 
So now we have four words. I told you the four most important words that were ever spoken. What are they? Do you know them yet? In the beginning, beginning, God. These are the four most important words ever spoken. Why? Because of everything we've been talking about. When you say, in the beginning, God, it's supposed to take the person's mind, your mind, to that whole of Genesis, chapter one and beyond, and everything that it means. See, it's a little key that goes in and goes, I've just unlocked you. In the beginning, God. And then all of this stuff floods in and you go, oh yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. In the beginning, God. Not me. Not my worries. Not my problems. Not the, wor- not the world. In the beginning, God. That's where I start. That's where I am. And that's where I finish. Watch this. When you, when you plug this in, here's what it's supposed to do in our hearts. First of all, there is a God. You do, uh, real quick, you do realize that God could have made us like he did angels and just stuck us in heaven with him, right? You do realize he could have done that with us, right? Why didn't he? Because he'd done that with angels and it went poorly. Satan. And so what he's doing with mankind is he's trying to give a people genuine free will. So all of the universe is understood as this. God creating a way to have there be living beings and made in his image, but that weren't in his presence at all times as our spiritual beings. You see it? So they can actually deny him. In the garden was free will. You may eat of that tree, but don't. (laughs) Your choice, but don't. If you do, it's going to separate you. He gave us free will. That's what the whole of physical creation is about. And when the physical creation, when we're done, when we die, we leave the physical creation behind and we go to be with God. There's a new heaven and a new earth that comes and there's more to it, but you get the point. So the first choice, the first thing that everybody has to choose is, is there a God? But now watch this. We can say that to somebody who doesn't know that there's a God. But here's the cool thing about free will. Or or I should probably say the really problematic thing. Even if you've been a Christian for 40 years, I've been a Christian, what was I, 19? So almost, I'm getting close to 50 years now, 45 years. Patricia said in her word today, I discovered that there was a no in me. I'm about to tell you about a no I discovered just recently. So it's not okay for me to say to the somebody who's pushing away the truth of God, oh, it's just your problem. You've chosen wrong. I've chosen right. Everything is hunky-dory. Here's the truth. Everybody has choices all the time about everything. And we have to be continually choosing him. We have to be continually letting the Holy Spirit come into our minds and create a structure so that when things happen, we properly understand, react, act, and be. You see it? So the first thing is there's a God. And I got to tell you right now, that's still something every single person in here needs to be wrestling with. There is a God. Because even though you know that and you don't think about it ever, the fact is we act all the time as if there isn't. (laughs) Right? In some capacity. So there is a God. And he's made everything. 
for us. This is the cipher. Don't ever understand life differently than what these things make you to understand it. You're getting the wrong answer. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't hear my prayers. Because he wants to be with us. Because he loves us. When we say in the beginning God, what it should bring into our hearts, it should immediately tell us, oh yeah, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the universe. He's got it. He loves me. He cares about me. He's got me in his hands. Oh yeah, in the beginning. <laughs> Not just in the beginning, by the way. The great I am. In the beginning, the God who is I am. And what is I am? It means I am right now. Well, right now, right this now. Well, that now and this now. And what about this now? That now. What about the now that, that now too? That, this now. The one that back there. Every now. Every now that's ever been, he's in. I am. In the beginning, God who is I am means he's with us in the beginning, right now, and be with it right there in every moment throughout eternity. This is who is with you at every single moment. When you say in the beginning, God, you're not just saying in the beginning. You're saying in the beginning, God, and for all the rest of it. <laughs> he's been right there with me, creating, doing things. Wow, those four little words turn out to mean quite a lot, don't they? <laughs> they're supposed to be carrying baggage. We think of baggage as negative, but they're supposed to be carrying really nice baggage with really good gifts. It's supposed to be carrying really good gifts to you. A shorthand, a poetic way of saying everything that he wants you to know. Always. Right? If I had to take it into some sort of a metaphor, that's an actual spring. That's a, you can see the hole in the rock and it's coming up through the rock. There's a spring that's coming up there and that spring is bringing up water and what that water is doing is, is in the midst of all kinds of nothing but death, it's bringing life. In the beginning, God and everything that that means is supposed to be a wellspring of life in you. So that no matter what happens, no matter how it happens, you're always being filled with it. Rivers of living water bringing life to you. Now, I'm going to do this short because I got something I'm going to do that's going to be really great. This isn't just a sermon for me. You guys don't know this, but Julie says it all the time. She says, God never, ever let you preach a sermon that you don't have to live. I've never preached a sermon that was just an abstract sermon, a good idea. Never. Every single time, God is making it. And I want to tell you, I'm just going to confess to you, I want you to pray for me. Because I'm going through one of the biggest struggles I've ever gone through in my life. Right now. I am a person who has trusted the Lord in ways that I, I know God doesn't create on the curve, but if he did, I'd do pretty well on the curve. I have chosen him over and over and over and over. And in every single moment, the people that work with me know that this is the number one thing that I'm about. What's the Lord saying and what are we supposed to do about it? Period. 
I don't care about anything else because I trust him. So I want to say, I think there's a pretty good reservoir of trust in me. And I'm being taught an area in my life that is not small, but where I can't tell if I trust him or not yet. But what I know is I don't trust him the way that I want to. I don't trust him in a way where it's final. And so I'm just wrestling. And I don't think there's anything wrong with wrestling. In fact, to the contrary, I think that every time you have an opportunity to wrestle, be sure and do it. You know why? Because the end result of it is going to be a massive change. You know where I get that from? You know why I can say that? Skipping ahead and doing this whole exercise we're doing about making the Old Testament inform us in ways that make it richer. Does anybody know of a story that might have come fairly early in the Bible about a guy that wrestled with God? <laughs> Jacob and Esau, twins. And when Jacob is coming out of the womb, he's grabbing at Esau's foot as if to pull him back down and have himself come out. And so they call him, they name him Jacob. The name is Supplanter. How'd you like that to be your name? You usurper. <laughs> oh, sorry. Didn't mean to talk to you. Okay. You usurper. Right? That's your name. Usurper. Right? Jacob does, in fact, supplant, usurp. He steals the birthright and the blessing of the firstborn, his twin, Esau, the one that came out first. And because of that, he ends up having to run away and he gets a wife and everything else. And now God tells him to come back in the land, something he does not want to do. Why? Because Esau's there and Esau is going to kill him. That's what Esau, that's what he thinks. And that's probably what Esau wants to do. And so Jacob, not being a total fool, what he does is he sends, he puts, he puts a whole bunch of gifts out there first, and then a whole bunch of other things that Esau can take if he wants them. And then he basically takes everything he has, almost, and he puts it in front of him. <laughs> Including, by the way, some kids to try and get some mercy. <laughs> right? Don't kill me, I'm a dad. Okay? So he puts everything out in front of him, and then what happens is, is now he's left alone in the camp and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of his socket. Now I want to tell you something. I'm a guy that already walks with a limp. I've got more than one limp where God has wrenched things out of my life in ways that caused me to walk with a limp and they're the best things that God has ever done for me. Because he taught me things about him and me. But the bottom line was he touched his hip and wrenched it out of his socket. And Jacob forevermore walked with a limp. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now I want you to think about this for a second. The supplanter is pulling on something and trying to get something. And now he's in a battle with what's being called a man. But we're going to find out in two seconds is God. Probably an incarnate moment of Jesus Christ and, and prior to his incarnation, but a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And he's wrestling with Jesus all night long. Do you even think you should do that? Do you? Well, let me tell you something. Here's what Jacob was after, his blessing. I know who I am. I know what I deserve. I need Grace. I need your favor. I need you to bless me. That doesn't mean I get to be a schmuck. But it means I don't make myself perfect and then you bless me. It means you bless me. 
I need you to bless me. Let me go. The dawn is breaking. Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. And he says, your name will no longer be Jacob. Do you see how much he's changing his nature right here? He's changing Jacob's nature right here. He takes him from being Jacob, the supplanter. From now on, you'll be called Israel, which means the contender. The one who is contending for the things of God and winning, getting them. How much do we have to press into the things of God? Do you think that this is just something that you happen and you read your Bible and you say a prayer and then you hope everything's going to be okay and just go about your day? Is that how it works? (laughs) I love you. You want that and I want that too. And the fact of the matter is, is that God is saying the stuff that comes hard is the stuff that makes the difference. It's the stuff that changes you. The stuff you have to wrestle with is the stuff that changes you. You need to be changed. Let him change you. Now on you'll be called Israel because you fought with God and with man and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Now this is a bad translation, NLT. I like the rest of it, so I kept it. Why do you want to know my name? Really, the, the sense is, why do you ask? And the, and the thing is, is you know who I am. You see, you see what he's doing? What? You know, you've been wrestling with me all night because you thought I was some guy that just came out of the forest. You wrestled with me all night because you knew that I could bless you because you know who I am. And we'll see that right now. You know who I am. Then Jacob, then he blessed Jacob. So there's the blessing. And Jacob named the place uh, Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. And he might have added on to the end of that, and he blessed me. Which he did. I need this. I don't need him to bless me. But I need to find the answer to the thing with which I'm wrestling. And I can tell you what, I'm months into it. Months. And I do it every single day. Because I'm contending. Because I know the God that I serve. And I know that when I finally found it, it's going to change me. And I want to be changed. I don't want this to be something that has anything in me whatsoever. You see it? By the way, you know, people start thinking about what is it and all that kind of stuff. I'm just telling you, it's not the things you would think, okay? It's not porn or it's not all that kind of stuff. So I'm not saying a lot of people don't, you know, strive for that. And by all means, you know, please do if that's it. I'm just telling you, it's so much more, like I say, I find myself at a particular place in life for the first time in my life. I really believe I'm trusting him. But I'm not owning it. It's not in me. It's killing me. What am I going to do? I'm going to fight. I'm going to wrestle. I'm going to keep pressing into the only hope that I have. Peter says... You know, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, where are we going to go? (laughs) You have all the answers. You have everything. We're going to end on a cool note right now. I want you to close your eyes.
it's going to take a minute. I need you to just trust me. I'm going to, I'm going to bring this, in the beginning, God into your heart, into your life. Here's what I want you to do. First thing, I want you to think about financing. I want you to think about your finances. Do you have some area in your life right now to where you have something coming up that you just don't even know how to pay for? You don't know what to do about it. You don't know anything. Do you have something like that in your life? Now, you may not, but if you don't, then praise God for that. But please go back to a time in your life where you did have that because we all have. Now, I want you to let that enter you. Enter your mind fully. Don't push it away. Don't cover over it. Don't try and... I want you to enter into your mind any fear, any trepidation, any concern, any grief, any, anything that you have. What do you have? A something that's going on financially in your life that has got you wrapped around the axle or that had you wrapped around the axle. And I want that to go into your mind now and be there. Let it go into your heart including let it stir up a little fear in you. Is it there? Now watch. In the beginning, God, which means in this instance, the God who made the heavens and the earth and all the universe. Do you think that he can't provide for you? And do you think that he doesn't care about providing for you? Because the whole of Genesis chapter 1 is demonstrating exactly the opposite. In fact, the whole of the scriptures. The whole. So in the beginning, God, say that into the situation. Just speak that. In the beginning, God. Not you, not fear, not concern, not anything else. In the beginning, God. Put him right in the middle of it. The God who created everything. Now here's another one. Just something that you want. I'm not talking about a Lamborghini, okay? But I'm talking about the fact that you may have a car that you fear is going to break. And wouldn't it be nice to have a car that had a warranty that wouldn't cost you any money if it did break? Wouldn't it be nice to have a car that was maybe larger and could carry all the kids or all the things that you want to do? Wouldn't it be nice to have that? I'm not talking about something that you fear. Now I'm talking about something that you desire. And you think to yourselves as Christians, well, God, I shouldn't ask God for that because that's selfish and that's, you know, material and so on. But I just want you to think for a second. I want you to let that into your mind. What's a thing that you really hope for, that you really dream for? It might be a larger house for bedrooms for the kids or for a better backyard or whatever it is. What's a thing that you dream for? Let that come into your mind. You dream for this. Let it come. And now do this. In the beginning, God. You know, the one that made the oceans and the land to teem with abundance. Do you hear the word? With abundance. In the beginning, God created things in abundance. He meant for us to live in abundance. This isn't faith doctrine when I say that. This is the heart of God. There are all kinds of other things, but the bottom line is, is in the beginning, this God of abundance wants to provide for you in abundance. Let's go to a whole other area. Health. Don't raise your hand, but anybody in here received word just recently on something that rocked your world? 
changed your world. If you haven't, think about one. If you haven't recently, think about one that did. And by the way, this may be something that was totally not your fault, you know, just genetics or something happened to you, environmental, whatever, but it wasn't your fault at all. Or you may be facing a health issue that has to do with lifestyle choices that you have not been able to overcome. And so you kind of think, well, God can't heal me from it because I can't quit smoking or I can't quit eating or I can't quit whatever it is. I want you to think about those things that are health issues in your life. Think about them. Let them come into your heart. Let them come into your mind and your heart. Let them fill you. And now speak the in the beginning God who is the one who created you for eternity. Never to die. In the garden. Perfectly healthy. No sickness, no death, no disease. That was his intent. And this is the reality that you will face ultimately. In the beginning, God. Speak that to it. And watch it dissipate your fear, your concern, your, your own guilt. It doesn't mean you still don't have to do something. It just means let him do it. Let's take one that's really near and dear to his heart. I'm not talking about family and really close relationships right now. I'm talking about a work relationship or somebody that you interact with regularly and this person is a pill or worse. It's just tough. Every time you interact with them, it's just tough. It's a broken relationship and you marginalize it and you walk away from it and you try everything you can just to avoid it and you do everything you can. You might even try to fix it a couple of times, but you know, you just, you just, you you know what I'm talking about. It's a broken relationship. And I want you to do something. Let it come into your heart. Do you feel it? Do you feel the brokenness of it? Now let me ask you a question. What did the in the beginning God come to do? He came to give us relationship with him, with each other. He came to make us one with each other. Maybe they don't know the Lord, but God can still do a miracle there too. Let's go all the way home on this last one. Somebody who you are incredibly close to, maybe a spouse, maybe a child, maybe a parent, maybe a sibling, or maybe just a super good friend, and the relationship has just gone completely sideways. And you're grieving it. It's killing you. Let it get in your heart. Let it get in your mind. Do you feel it? What did God come to do? To make us one with him. Do you think he cares about that relationship too? He restores all relationships. This is what he does. This is what it means to be in the beginning God. Open your eyes. That was the beginning of something. Reach down in front of you and you're going to see little post-its look like this. I want you to rip off six or seven. Don't, don't rip off so many, you know, rip off several and don't rip them apart. 
rip off six or seven of them. And now, there's a pen there too. And what I want you to do is, on the top one, I want you to write, in the beginning... Yes, ushers are coming forward, pens and. So what I want you to do is to write on the top one, in the beginning, God. And you got about seven or eight, right? Now here's what I want you to do. When you walk out of here today, I want you to take that top one and I want you to put it on the mirror of your car. So that every time you get in your car, you think about in the beginning, God. I, I can tell you road rage is going to drop. <laughs> and then I want you to take this home. And on the second one, I want you to write, in the beginning, God, when you get home. And I want you to put it on the mirror to where you see it every morning. And then I want you to take the third one and write, in the beginning, God. And I want you to put it right by your bed so that you see it when you get up and when you go to bed. And then I want you on the next one, I want you to write it and I want you to stick it on your computer screen. So every time you look at your computer, you see in the beginning, God. And I want you to take another one and I want you to write it and I want you to put it on your TV. And take another one and put it on your fridge. And take another one and put it on the door as you're walking out the door. Do you see it? Somehow, we have to become a people of the book, right? That means we have to get this down inside of us. I just told you about the four most powerful words that have ever been spoken. And the fact is, is by Tuesday, the likelihood is most of us will barely be able to remember what the sermon was. But if you start peppering this all over your life, you're going to start thinking about it. You're going to start training yourself in it. You're going to start seeing the fruit of it like you just did in the exercise. And all of a sudden, you're going to start living in it. Over time, you're going to start being in the beginning God. So, Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, we come before you and we ask you to make us the people of your book. Make us that. God, you can. We can't. God, teach us, train us, change us. Holy Spirit, come in and set the cipher, set the, the, the code, set it to where it's starting to be your word that is defining me and not the things of the world. Not anything else. Not my fears. Not my concerns. Not my thoughts. My thoughts are your thoughts. I take every thought captive. I make it be yours by looking at these little tabs and doing this over and over and over. In Jesus' holy and precious name, God, make us a people of the book. The four most powerful words, make them be words that resonate in our hearts in a full-throated, full-orb, full-corded way. In Jesus' holy and precious name, in the beginning, God. That's where we're going to start everything and that's where we're going to take everything to so in Jesus holy and precious name thank you Lord we reach down in front of us and we grab these cups and in these cups we recognize that in the bottom cup is a life that has been broken is a life that has been scarred by the choices by the by the things that we knew to do but didn't do and we don't beat ourselves up by that we recognize that that's why you had to come that's why you had to change us 
That's why you did the amazing thing you did in making us new. So we raise up our brokenness, even as Christians, and we look through that cup to the cross. And we say in Jesus' holy and precious name, by your stripes we are healed. You have done everything that it takes for us to be in the fullness that you intended. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, we take this cup to be healed. Take this cup together. Now in Jesus' holy and precious name, we lift up this cup in which is the blood that was spilled for us, the life that was given to us to become our own that already is in fact our own. It's always critical. It already is in you. But we take this cup to say yes to it. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, we take this cup saying, yes, Lord, this life become mine. Thank you, Lord. Ushers, thank you for coming forward.